On this episode of This Week in Linux, we cover a big batch of releases from distros, apps, and even some hardware, like System76 has launched the option to order their new open-source certified desktop, Thaleo. We got a big update from the Solus team about the future of the project. OpenSUSE announces the launch of their legal review system, Cabal. Fedora 29 has been released, along with many other things, such as the KDE Connect new release, Sailfish, i3 Window Manager, GIMP, VirtualBox, and the Game Manager, Lutris. We'll also take a look at some upcoming projects, like Ubuntu 19.04, Cinnamon 4.0, and the Samsung DeX running Ubuntu. All that and much more coming up. I'm Michael Tonell with Tux Digital, and this is your weekly source for Linux GNU's. This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by uh, technically no one, but uh, this is a good opportunity to talk about the Tux Digital Patreon. So if you are interested in supporting the channel and supporting the This Week in Linux podcast, as well as the other things that I do on the Tux Digital channel, this would be a, uh, a really good option to support it. Uh, it allows you to get extra rewards as well as like early access to videos and this podcast as well. Uh, this, If you are interested, you can go to tuxdigital.com slash Patreon to find out more. And you can actually be a sponsor uh, or become a patron just for all, as little as $1 a month and get a ton of rewards for it. So uh, if you're interested, uh, please check it out, tuxdigital.com slash Patreon. Up first in the show, System76 has unveiled their Thaleo desktops, which are an open source, open hardware type uh, desktop. This is a very cool product. Mainly, it looks very cool. The specs are ridiculous, uh, but I really like the design of the hardware because, or the case itself, because this is a very unique, like wood grain finish design. So this is a, as a designer myself, I do like that when they put effort into the outer, the outer shell of a computer, not just the parts. So that's really cool. Uh, but they did put a lot of effort into the parts too. So they have. Three different versions. They have the Thaleo, the Thaleo Major, and the Thaleo Massive. And the the Major has the Threadripper and some other, an op- option of also a Core X if you want to do that as well. Uh, but it has up to 128 gigs of memory, up to support um, uh, as much as four GPUs at the same time, and uh, 46 terabytes of storage. Now, if that's not enough for some reason you can go to the massive version which has dual xeon processors and up to 786 gigabytes of ecc memory and up to 86 terabytes of storage now the prices for this is probably obsessive like just ridiculous the starting price is not is not super horrible it's it's a high end desktop uh, price so if you want to get the the regular thaleo version which is still a beast of a computer uh, the starting point for that is 1099 The starting point for the Massive is 2899 So basically the price of a starter Apple product. Anyway, so if you're interested in checking that out, you could uh, find a link in the show notes. But this is a really cool aspect because of the open source, uh, open hardware approach. They're, they're not able to do a fully open source piece of hardware because of the you know the necessities of wanting to use certain you know pr- uh, features in the system and so uh, people who are kind of uh, disappointed with the fact that it's not a completely open source the open source aspects is based on the certification from the open source hardware alliance 
or is it association? I'm not really sure. I think it's alliance. But either way, that the OSHA, 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 I don't know. The OSHA is a, a certified saying that this particular product is open sourced hardware. Now they they do have binary blobs that are a part or binary functionality, uh, not binary. Sorry, proprietary functionality is a part of the daughter board. So they moved it from the main motherboard and put it on the thing. I I'm not sure if they named it the daughter board or if that's just a thing. But either way, they have it separated. So the proprietary stuff is on a separate board. So if you don't want to use it, in theory, you could disable that uh, those features and just use the open source aspects, which is a very cool idea. And in the future, maybe that they'll have the ability to do fully open source. But right now, if you wanted to have all the uh, all the functionality that would come with a high-end desktop computer, you would kind of need those proprietary pieces. So I like the way that they are doing it. They are doing it this way. So anyway, if you want to find out more about the System76 Thaleo Open Desktop, you can find a link in the show notes. Next up in the show is a Solus update. Because we recently found out about uh, Ike Doherty's uh, departure from the Solus project. He wrote an open letter, which is published on Pharonix, to the Solus team, uh, basically explaining what he's going to be doing about leaving the project. And this is an interesting thing, uh, the fact that he decided to be public about the departure and also what he's planning to do, which is it's kind of the same, the kind of the thing that Ike was known for is being very open and transparent. So it is it's not surprising, but it is still interesting. And he in the in the open letter, he mentioned how he's giving like access to all the different accounts for the infrastructure, for the domain and all kinds of stuff to the team. Uh, unfortunately, they because of the um, the lack of notification prior, the Solus team did have to change domains, and they are still doing some stuff with that. So the old the old domain of Solus Project is no longer being used. It's Get Solus or G E T S O L dot U S. That's the new domain. So if you want to check it out, I'll have a link to that in the show notes. But this is a really um, it's an interesting situation because we, people have been wor- like kind of curious what's going to happen to Solus because Ike's not been around. But he's um, even though he's not been around, the Solus team has been doing a lot of work, and they are actually pretty close to releasing a new version of Budgie. They're going to be releasing a full uh, ISO update of the well, not just their ISO refresh like they were doing, but like a full update for Solus Four and things like that. There's a lot of things coming. So just because Ike wasn't around doesn't mean that Solus team wasn't working very hard because they they were. Uh, but Ike has officially announced that he would he's no longer going to be a part of the Solus project. Now, last time we talked about this, we mentioned in uh, that the Solus team was asking for people to remove their uh, support on Patreon, and they are still you know okay with you removing that because uh, that they're not accepting money anyway, but they have uh, finally gotten access to the Patreon. We're not really sure why Patreon decided to give them access. Maybe it was because of the uh, massive uh, departure of all the people on Patreon. I'm not sure. But essentially, uh, Patreon has given access to the Solus team so that they could take over the account. And once they were given access to the account, they did stop. all. They paused the campaign so all even if you didn't cancel your uh, subscription to be a patron, it will no longer charge you because the account has been paused. So they are working on finding another way to do some donations and do some things through, and so not necessarily through Patreon. Maybe, maybe you're not, 
but they are working on uh, like talking to the Sulphur Freedom Conservancy and see if they will help out with as being like a legal entity or something like that because there's a a lot of complicated stuff because unfortunately the the, the this is a, f a fortunate thing because it allows for a lot of people to work on the project because there's a lot of people who are a part of the team that are spread across the world which is very cool but it also does make it kind of complicated with taxes so this way that they have a legal entity it makes it a lot easier for them so that's what they're working on now so it's at that at some point they may open up donations again but at the moment they're they're pausing it regardless if you've uh, decided to leave the patron or not so it's really cool that where they're they're able to take take care of that and they're cleaning up a lot of the the issues that they have been dealing with recently so i'm not really sure what else is left for them to do but if you want to find out more um, there's a link in the show notes, but also there was an interview that we did on Destination Linux episode 95 with one of the core teams, the experience lead, Josh Strobel. So if you'd like to find out more about the, the situation and also hear it directly from a Solus core team member, then check out episode 95 of Destination Linux. I'll have a link to that in the show notes. Up next in the show is the code name that has been released for Ubuntu 19.04 which is coming out in April of 2019 as tentatively scheduled right now for April 18th. But this code name for this, this release is awesome. It's ridiculous, but it's awesome. And that's Disco Dingo because why not? I, I actually, that's, I think that's the reason why they did it. Because why not? <laughs> so, um, I kind of called this was going to be the name of the distribution of this, the code name for it. They were complete jokes when I called them. I said, uh, actually, I said disco separately from dingo, but I did say both of them. I think I said a disco in like a podcast somewhere, and I said dingo in like Telegram, and then I tweeted about it. Um, but yeah, <laughs> no, I didn't expect the calling of being like the actual prediction to be legit. So I think that's hilarious and awesome. So anyway, disco dingo, I like it. Whether it's uh, necessarily good, I think I think it's good that they're playing or playing around with it now, rather than just trying to be like like serious about it because they kind of used to be, but now they're now they're doing like more playful stuff. I like it. Anyway, they did say that they have some uh, there's somewhat some reported planned features that they're talking about. They haven't these are really not confirmed, but a, a little bit they have uh, kind of implied that GNOME three thirty two will be available. Uh, they they plan to include the Linux kernel five point zero. And they also plan to include some updates to the Ubuntu store, which it does definitely need some updates to make it look and more be more useful because the discoverability of the of the Ubuntu store, well, actually also GNOME software, is not that great. So I think that they should make some ad adjustments to that, so that's good. And they also say that there is some reported planned features for GS Connect to be integrated into the system. They did actually try to do that for 18.10, but unfortunately we're not able to do so. So 19.04 probably will have GS Connect in it. And if you've not heard of GS Connect, it is the GNOME implementation for KDE Connect. So it'll still you'll still use KDE Connect on your phone for your Android device, but it will be using GS Connect to uh, talk to the, your system. So instead of using the the KDE uh, connect indicators and stuff like that, which is kind of like what other DEs use other than Plasma. 
you would be able to use GS Connect like directly into the shell. So that's pretty cool, and uh, I look forward to trying that out because KD Connect is fantastic, and we'll talk about that later in the show. But anyway, if you'd like to learn more about uh, this particular, you know, the the planned features about this release and things like that, I'll have a link to the OMG Ubuntu articles in the show note. Wait, did I say show note or show notes? Either way is accurate, technically. So it's a show note for this. Anyway, yep. Up next in the show is the release of Fedora 29. Fedora 29 it comes out with a very cool and exciting function functionality called uh, Fedora Modularity. And the modularity aspect of it allows for sysadmins and developers to have different versions of different dependencies installed so that they can use the same they can use software that is meant for different uh, dependencies without having a you know basically a, a conflict between the different packages that they need to use which is very cool because it allows you to let's for example for, for example you're making a web application and you want to test to see if it works on the newest version of of PHP for example which is like 7 the 7.x series and also you might want to see if it works on the most recent supported 5x series and to see if they if it works on both sides and if you whether you have to upgrade someone and say that, you know the dependency you need to use is the 7 or higher or you know something like that it allows them to have both of those installed and to test against both of the, both of them so that that way they're they're they would know for sure which one is the necessity and or which one is supported so it's a really cool approach because it's kind of similar to the universal format structure that some that uh, like flat packs and snaps are doing, but more of a like a core approach. So it's it's an interesting it's, it's an interesting idea, and I think that modularity is definitely very powerful. So I look forward to trying that out. And they also have updates for uh, flat packs in the GNOME software tool, which allows for automatic updates for flat packs in Fedora 29. So that's pretty cool because. Of, Flatpaks didn't really have an update system that I knew of, other than like manual updating, and this way it makes it a lot easier. So in theory, that GNOME software would be able to be that feature in GNOME software could be used in other distributions that are utilizing GNOME software. Uh, hopefully, uh, GNOME Boxes also now supports connecting to remote Windows machines using RDP. So that's pretty cool because uh, uh, GNOME Boxes is typically just a virtual machine. Uh, system so the now that it has connections between uh, using RDP you can have it kind of be like a, a remote remote desktop tool as well as a VM tool so that's pretty cool anyway also Fedora is celebrating their 15th birthday because Fedora Core 1 came out 15 years ago and that's when uh, Red Hat split in split the desktop into Fedora but that it's a pretty cool thing to think about because you know most projects don't last um, you know most well not most projects, because this is a company-based project, so uh, most things don't last that long in general, really. So it's really nice to see, you know, when when to celebrate milestones like this, because uh, 15 years of anything uh, is very is very uh, noble, and uh, you know, it's a big milestone. So I appreciate the effort that the that Red Hat and the, com the community have been putting into putting into Fedora over the, over the years. So thank you very much for that. Uh, Red Hat also announced that Red Hat Enterprise Linux or RHEL 7.6 has been released. Uh, unfortunately, they did mention one thing that was taken out, which is you know unfortunate for me. However, not really. 
Uh, KDE Plasma has been announced to be removed from the future versions of Red Hat Enterprise Linux. Um, but to be clear, uh, most people were not even aware that Red Hat was offering KDE Plasma in the first place because you know most people assume that they're just using GNOME because they help develop GNOME. So like it was just kind of interesting that that became a topic uh, of discussion over the past couple weeks or so uh, when they announced that they were going to remove it. But uh, the funny thing is, is that the the version that Red Hat has is Plasma Four, which is really old and not maintained anymore. So taking that out doesn't really affect pretty much anyone. Anyway, so Fedora Twenty Nine has awesome features with the modularity and everything. So if you are interested in checking it out, you can find a link to that in the show notes. Up next in the show is OpenSUSE's announcement for their developing of a legal review system. Now, this is an, an interesting project because what this project is called Cavill. I think it's how you're supposed to say it. Uh, it's a legal review system that is meant to be beneficial for OpenSUSE as well as other distributions and projects that want to use it. So essentially, if you put your code on OBS to use their build service, they, well, OBS in this case is open build service, not the broadcasting thing. So the open build service made by OpenSUSE, uh, they have this Project Cavill is an add-on service that you can approach, uh, apply to your packages and software for through OBS. And what it does is essentially every time an OBS request is done, so for like the uh, the OBS fact, oh, the OpenSUSE factory, uh, it goes through a legal review process to ensure that the licenses are compatible with each other. So like all the dependencies, licenses, and like checks to see that if the dependencies of whatever you whatever uh, software you're trying to use, the licenses are compatible, so that in case you see there's some kind of like additional license been applied to one of the things you depended on, it will tell you and like get you, you so you can review it yourself. So it, what it does is it creates an index for uh, these these dependencies and what the legal settings are for. Um, it gives you like a legal report for every request that you send for the software that you're building and then it sends you like these automatic bot comments to let you know about what is like what the value is for the individual dependencies that you have and what licenses are attached to that so it's a really interesting um, approach that they're doing to kind of make it easier for developers to see if they are compliant with whatever license for the dependent the dependencies they are using uh, are are you know are licensed basically that's a weird way of saying it, but there's not a way that's not weird to say that. Also, that's a weird way of saying it, too. Anyway, if you'd like to find out more, you can find a link in the show notes to the article from OpenSUSE about their legal review system, Cavill. Up next in the show is KDE Connect 1.10 has been released. And KDE Connect is a very powerful tool, if you haven't heard of it. for It helps you communicate with your... Uh, your Android device and your Linux desktop, and it is a awesome tool. Like it's, I at this point, I feel like my phone isn't really complete without KDE Connect. Um, I I also use Plasma, which makes it a lot easier to get used to that uh, usage of KDE Connect. But as I said earlier in the show, KDE Connect is now able able to be used in GNOME with the GS Connect. So if you are a GNOME user, you should definitely look into that. Because KDE Connect is one of those tools that once you have it, you don't ever want to go back. 
because it is so nice and convenient. Uh, clipboard synchronization, notification syncing. So if you have a notification on your phone, it shows up in your desktop notifications. All kinds of stuff. Uh, SMS, like sending messages back and forth from your computer through to your phone. It's awesome. And there's also many other things like being able to use your phone as a touchpad for, to, for your like controlling your mouse and your desktop. It's very cool. But the latest version has added some even more features, and they're doing a little bit of a tease for the future. So they've improved support for Android or Oreo. They've added better support for mouse input, like I was talking about for the like the touchscreen uh, mouse pad type thing. And they've also added some better handling for the SMS. They did say that they're kind of doing a lot of stuff for that in the back end, and they haven't really said... They just basically said, you know, keep stay tuned for this because there's something coming in the future that they were they're going to talk about so uh, i don't know what that means hopefully uh they're going to make it where you can do you're like because I, th I think it's mostly replies right now hopefully they're going to make like a full sms type thing from kd connect that'd be awesome but anyway uh if you would like to check it out you can find out more to the uh more you can find a link to nico's blog for the latest version in the show notes up next in the show Samsung has announced a functional or basically given a demo and also a developer beta uh, program for using Ubuntu on a Samsung Galaxy Note 9 or Tab S4 utilizing the Samsung DeX. And the Sam Samsung DeX is an adapter, basically it's like a dock sort of, but not necessarily a dock, uh, that you can connect your phone to and then can like switch from using your Android operating system on the phone to a full Linux desktop uh, connected to like to a monitor so you can actually use your phone as a portable computer as well as a phone so it's a essentially it's kind of like a concept of convergence that uh, canonical uh, was used to talk about like you know a couple few years ago or so so Samsung's now kind of bringing that to a bigger uh, platform and a bigger more mainstream as well and what they're they're actually using Ubuntu uh, 1604, a modified version of Ubuntu 1604, uh, to make this happen. So it allows you to do a lot of interesting things with it. So, uh, but if you wanted to try it out, there is a beta, like a private beta that they're doing for you can sign up if you have a Note 9. It only right, like technically it works on the Tab S4, but I think only the Note 9 are the ones that can like submit for, uh, for the private beta. Um, I know a couple people who have the Note 9, so I might suggest that they you know, test it out if they want to, just, you know, just curious anyway. Um, but well, we'll see what happens there. But this is an interesting thing because it, it allows for a lot of uh, potential because some people like the idea of having one device that does everything, their desktop, their phone, everything. And I think that would be a really uh, an interesting approach for companies and businesses and enterprise people to do because it allows you to do like It changes the bring your own device um you know that that concept changes it drastically because you can even have your own desktop in your phone. That's very cool, and I do look forward to trying out in the future. Maybe it'll be probably a while before I'm willing to buy all the material, all the hardware in order to do it. Probably never until it's like uh, you know a couple years from now. But whatever. Anyway, for people who do have it, you might want to check it out, and I'll have a link to the article from uh, Canonicals or the Ubuntu website, as well as a link to the private beta if you are interested. 
Um, so I'll have a link to those in the show notes. Now, another thing that has been talking about Samsung is that they were uh, there's some reports that they're doing an open source restructuring, uh, or actually they there was reports that the open source department of Samsung was closed and people were being fired, and there are poor people who were fired. But they've they've come out and made a comment. Samsung has commented on this topic and said that they're not uh, they're not closing the department. They are restructuring it and hiring hiring new peoples and replacing some people that they currently have. So it was just like a big like big companies like this kind of do like a um, like a, a chunk. I wouldn't say cleansing or whatever, but more of like a, a, a firing in a like a big set. And and this is not really surprising. You know, you'll see people report for like five thousand people have been laid off or something like that. It just so happens that many of the people who were laid off in this batch were a part of that department. So they have said that they they are not closing the department they're just restructuring it so i guess there's that anyway if you'd like to find out more about that topic as well as the samsung decks with running ubuntu you can find a link in the show notes oh before i end this topic i wanted to point out one thing that i found amusing there's a video um about the showing the the decks running showing ubuntu running and i thought it was funny because in the video they show you opening the ubuntu desktop opening some applications, opening some terminals, and running some t- some stuff in the terminal. Now, makes sense they're using like HTOP and things like that, displaying like doing some terminal stuff. But what I found amusing was that they also made it for some reason inside of a terminal, they had someone run terminator to open another terminal. I don't know why they would do that. I just thought it was funny. Anyway, if you want to find out more or watch the video yourself, I have a link in the show notes. Up next in the show, uh, Yola has announced the release of Selfish 3.0. Selfish is a Linux-based operating system for mobile phones. Uh, there, I'm not really sure what all phones it supports, but it does look like a pretty solid option. And they do. They have talked about in the past that they have support for Android apps. I'm not sure how far that support goes, but that's a very um, interesting aspect of wanting to use that OS because you could still have all the apps that you want to use while at the same time not really using Android. And I like the idea of that. <laughs> so anyway, if you'd like to check it out, the latest episode, uh, latest what? The latest release of Selfish 3.0 adds fully integrated VPN support, uh, automatic da- data encryption if you would like to, uh, better performance. They've added some extra security features, and they've also made some de- changes to the UI, adding a new top menu and some new uh, keyboard gestures. Um, so the, I think the keyboard gesture refers to like making gestures on top of the keyboard for specific functions. Uh, they've also added something called uh, enterprise Wi-Fi support. I'm not really sure what they're referring to specifically for that, but uh, that. So I don't know. I'm not really sure what makes it enterprise and what isn't. But if you'd like to learn more and find out what that does mean, I'll have a link to that in the show notes. Up next in the show, the i3 window manager has released version 4.16. And in this release, they've added a lot of uh, enhancements, such as uh, the inner process communications uh, improvements. They've got some more improved documentation, which is always nice. You know, having good documentation is sometimes rare in projects, especially... Um, open source projects that are done voluntarily because there's a lot of cases where people will have great software but you're not really sure how to use that software kind of thing. Um, 
it's really nice when any time documentation is done because uh, you got to learn how to use it before you can use it is, all, is what I'm saying. Anyway, so there's a lot of things that they're doing, and uh, they have some new additions to uh, the terminal, uh, i3 Sensible Terminal. They've also made better support for window decorations with GTK applications and a lot of bug fixes and other things. If you'd like to find out more about i3 and or any other tiling window manager, uh, you can you can find a link to the the uh, the article or the update change log basically in the show notes below. If you're not familiar, an, a tiling window manager is a like an automatic dynamic structure uh, that's not very common in most distros and desktop environments. So some of them can do it, but most of them not really. Uh, tiling window managers, uh, the concept is basically it will automatically position windows uh, on the screen so it takes up as much screen as possible while also being productive. So for example, if you only have one application ru running, it will take up the full screen. If you have two applications running, it will split them side by side. If you have four, It'll do like a grid system where you have each corner for an application. If you have multiple desktops or multiple uh, monitors, you can even split it up even more. And it's kind of sense in the way that it's built to automatically set those up, but you can then manually move them however you want as well really quickly with some shortcuts. Now, the reason why documentation is important is by default, uh, i3 and most tiling window managers don't explain how to use this system just by launching it and like installing it and using it so you'd have to actually read the documentation to learn how it all works so it is definitely and very important for them to have good documentation because you you'll need that more than almost guaranteed you'll need that so uh, if you would like to learn more you can find a link to the latest release of i3 in the show notes up next in the show is cinnamon 4.0 has been released well sort of the source code has been released on github so uh, some distributions may have it pretty soon. Uh, Linux Mint will have it uh, sometime in December, so we'll go into depth about all the new features that are coming uh, to Cinnamon 4 when that release of Linux Mint comes out. But we'll go. I'll go ahead and touch a few things here because there are some things that are interesting. Like for example, they're going to do like an icons-only task manager. Uh, they they call it a modern desktop layout rather than that, but essentially what it is is instead of having like the window with the full, like the icon and the full text name of the window in like a box. It's going to be just the icon and it's going to be like more like visually laid out rather than uh, data laid out. So that's what they are calling the modern desktop layout. They're also going to be able to give you more options for customizing the panel layout as well as uh, many improved performance features under the hood like refinements to the graphics pipeline. Uh, they've also said that they are going to have much faster uh, support and performance for Nemo in the 4.4.0 file manager. So when as soon as uh, uh, Nemo and Cinnamon are basically the same, like they're very heavily connected, and they're it's not Nemo's not dependent on Cinnamon anymore, uh, but they are very, still very heavily connected. So it's really nice to see like they're putting the effort into making both of those, uh, you know, much more performant. They've also said they're going to re reduce the system memory consumption, which is always nice, uh, making Cinnamon a lighter uh, desktop environment. Because uh, you can, you, if you, as long as you don't damage the offerings and the features and stuff like that, it's always good to have, you know, to the, reduce the amount of memory that's consumed by the system. So, because you could always use that memory for something else, rendering video, playing games, something, whatever. So anyway. 
Uh, we'll talk about this more in depth in December when the next version of Linux Mint comes out. Uh, but in, until then, if you'd like to check out more, you can find a link in the show notes for Simon 4.0. Uh, it'll be a link to Pharonix where they talk about it. As well as I think there's going to be, I think Mandraro is already talking about making a support for it. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty sure Arch has support as well. Or I'm not really sure if, if Arch specifically, but I think I think Manjaro did say that they're making uh, some support for it. So if you want to try it out soon, right, instead of waiting for Linux Mint, that might be an option. But anyway, we'll talk about it much more in depth in December. Up next in the show is we got... So previously, we talked about the Crostini support for Chromebooks. And I mentioned that we, we haven't really had a like much word about what Chromebooks wouldn't be supported at all because they did announce that there would be some uh, like a few uh, Chromebooks that will never get support for the Crostini, uh, which oh, if you're not familiar, Crostini is the ability to run Linux applications inside of Chrome OS through a kind of containerized structure. Uh, but we do have a list now and there's on the list is about uh, thanks to nine to five Google. There's we know that there's now 57 different Chromebooks that will not ever be receiving support for Christini. Now they haven't really said exactly why some of them don't get it, but essentially it's about like support where the hardware can't handle it or something like that. But what's interesting is that even the original Google Pixel, like the like the the really high end Pixel laptop that they made for a Chromebook, uh, even that one won't be included in getting Christini. So uh, I'm not really sure if that one's is a hardware issue or what about that or not. But either way. Uh, if you are curious to see if your Chromebook, if you do have a Chromebook, is going to be supported or not, uh, I'll have a link to the list of all the ones that are not supported in the show notes. Up next, GIMP 2.10.8 was released this week. And this is a, a lot of things because they're getting a lot better performance on uh, lower-end hardware, so that's very good. Uh, GIMP also says that their uh, various tools been up, have been added to generate performance logs which will allow the them to use uh, to optimize GIMP even more in the future. So like right now they're they're improving the performance but they're doing uh, they've since they're adding the performance logs they'll, they'll know where they can improve it even more uh, later on. So that's really good. They've also uh, fixed some things for macOS users but eh, they don't care. Um, they've also said that they have now got statistics. I'm not really sure how where they got the statistics, but essentially they said that they FlatHub has given them like statistics of how many statistics of how many downloads of the GIMP Flatpak has happened since they were uh, it was added to the FlatHub in October 2017, and that number is 214,000 downloads of GIMP since then. So that's pretty cool. I would like to see like the more like if they I would like to see that FlatHub did a like a public statistics thing. That would be really cool to see if if they have that information anyway. I would like to see it. Uh, so hopefully FlatHub will do that in the future. But uh, this is pretty cool to see, you know, because the, there's a lot of been like GIMP used to have a thing where they were taking a very long time to do updates, and now they're getting pretty quickly, uh, you know, quick at doing it. So that's always nice to see, especially if you'd like to uh, help out with the GIMP uh, funding. There's uh, some of the developers for GIMP, like not GIMP itself, because GIMP itself doesn't have a Patreon, but some of the developers are uh, doing like a separate Patreon for their for their own work. If you'd like to support them, you can do that. I'll have a link to uh, this the latest release as well as the donate page for GIMP in the show notes show notes below. So uh, 
be sure to check that out if you do uh if you do like what they were doing at GIMP and are interested in uh you know helping support them. So a link in the show notes. Up next in the show is the latest version of VirtualBox 5.2.22. This brings a lot of fixes for the Linux kernel 4.19, as well as uh, dropping some 3D support for Wayland, of all things. Uh, but overall, uh, this is not really the reason why, because it's mainly just a maintenance update and just bug fixes and stuff like that. There's a bit of performance improvements and things. But the reason I wanted to add it to the show is because there was also a vulner- vulnerability leaked about VirtualBox. And it's not a very good one. Uh, unfortunately, this this the bug is not. I mean, all, vulnerabilities are not very good in general. But uh, that's kind of yeah. Anyway, it's not horrible because it requires a specific uh, configuration for it to work. But essentially, what it does is that it allows uh, an attacker to get access um, from the guest to the host. So it actually can affect you. Uh, your host machine uh, in some ways. Now, it does re- require a lot of steps to get through this. So um, it does require the per- the ha- attacker in the guest to already have root privileges. So there's a big step right there. Uh, then it allows them to escape the host set and kind of take, like, get to, like, the, like a, the ring three is basically what it's called, like a tier uh, between the virtual machine and the main machine through the networking. Um, but, uh, you could, then once you get to that point, it is possible to use other techniques to elevate your privileges from there forward. So it could be bad if all of the pieces perfectly lined up for the attacker, uh, but it requires them to have root root privileges already. It would require the user to be using the, uh, the Intel Pro 1000 MT network adapter or the 82540EM adapter in the network address translation mode, or NAT mode. And um, it also, basically, if you just don't use that network adapter and instead use something like PCNet, it eliminates this problem. So if you are using that adapter and you are doing something that you are using software that you don't necessarily trust, like maybe you're malware tester or malware hunting or just something like that um, that could be a problem but for the most part this is not really going to affect most people but I did want to get that out there just so you know that you w- you should update as soon as possible to make sure that you have fixes for this uh, I don't think that 5.2.22 actually has a fix for this but I suspect that they will have it uh, up, you know updated you know as soon as possible so um, whenever you see an update for it be sure to do that because you never want to have something like that available. Uh, but in the meantime, you could just switch network adapters and you should be fine. But anyway, uh, if you want to find out more about this and the vulnerability, I'll have a link in the show notes. Up next in the show is the Lutris Game Manager has released version 0.4.23. And, well, this is the latest version, but I'm going to talk about a couple things from the ver- uh, for the last few versions because there's a lot of cool stuff recently. And uh, I think you should know about it. So, if you haven't heard of Lutris, it's a it's a basically it's a manager that allows you to uh, manage your the games you have available to play on a variety of different platforms, whether that is uh, in Steam or uh, using Wine or like play on Linux things like that. Uh, just very different games, or even if it's a game not even 
like or maybe even emulator games as well. You could actually have it keeping track of those as well. So it'll launch the emulator, then launch the game and stuff like that. It's a really cool project. So if you haven't looked at it, like checked it out, you should totally do so because it is very cool. But recently they've done some things where I think it's very cool. They've made it where they've added detection for Vulkan. So if your system supports a Vulkan, it will let you know and allow you to add uh, DXVK games. They've also made it possible to detect Proton and add it to different wine versions. So you can have uh, games that are like uh, classified and tagged as being Proton games. It also added support for Feral's game mode, which is a performance improvement from the Feral Interactive uh, company. Uh, to make games run faster on uh, Linux. They've also changed the way it detects video cards to be more reliant, or reliable, I guess is what I should say. And they've made a new one that I think is pretty cool. Uh, they they made a new feature where if you run, if you try to install a game and the install fails, it will now tell you what executable was expected to run that didn't run on the failure. So it gives you like a, a debugging thing. So if the thing that you tried to use didn't work, it will now tell you how you can try, like maybe how you can make it work, or at least can I point you in the right direction so that you can check to see if you can do that. So Lutris is a really cool project, and if you haven't checked it out, you totally should. Uh, and let me know what you think in the comments below if you do. Uh, but I also want to point out to something to the Lutris team. I, I'm a very big fan of your project. However, you need to update your website. And I mean your blog specifically, because if you scroll down to the like the second half of the of the website, you'll see it says uh, release number four zero dot four was released like two years ago. It makes your website look like you haven't, or it makes your project look like it's dated and old and not being maintained anymore. But they're making soft, they're making updates all the time. So uh, just update that a little bit more frequently, I think. So it'll make it, it won't be able to make people think that it's old or whatever. Just a thought. So anyway. Definitely check out Lutris. It is very cool, and I'll have a link to it in the show notes. Up next in the show is the ProtonDB.com website. If you haven't heard of it, uh, this actually we covered this uh, this particular website sort of, kind of, in a previous episode of I think 37 of This Week in Linux. Might have been 36, but I'm pretty sure it was 37. Anyway, um, the episode we covered, it was called like the Steam Community website or something like that. Steam Play, com- I don't know. I don't remember exactly, but they've recently changed the name of the pro- of the project. They've also got a new domain, which is protondb.com or Proton Database, basically, where they keep track of people who are testing various different games and submitting it to the, the this this project for this database. So since the release of Proton only like three months ago, they now have over 20,000 reports for various different games. Over 5,000 games have been reported to be have tested. And currently, over 2,800 games are working with Proton. Now, they haven't really said exactly what they mean by working. They probably are looking at like gold and platinum level because uh, they have multiple tiers of like compatibility. Uh, gold means there's a little bit you might have to do to make it work, and platinum means you just install it and let it go. Uh, but I'm pretty sure that the 2800 applies to gold and platinum. Uh, so anyway, this is a fantastic uh, community project, and I just want to bring attention to it again because, one, they have a much better website than they used to, looks much better, works much better, and is much more organized. So 
uh, good job on that. And it's also a good testament to the community and how much we care about making sure that, you know, as many people who want to be on Linux can be and letting them know that maybe the games that are keeping them on Windows are now available on Linux. So very cool. And if you'd like to learn more, you can just go to the, sh- the link in the show notes or go to protondb.com. Up next in the show is Microsoft is porting sysinternals to Linux. Now, if you had not heard of it, sysinternals is a set of utilities like ProcDump and ProcMon that are essentially like network monitoring and uh, debugging tools and stuff like that uh, for like utilities for system administrators, essentially. And these tools are used for, you know, debugging CPU and memory performance, analyzing processes, formatting drives, uh, log analysis, and all kinds of stuff. Now, this is very important for Windows administrators because they are used to using these tools. And thanks to uh, Linux being a a preferred OS on Azure uh, as a deployment, then it makes sense for people to want to have those debugging tools on the platform. And that's pretty much why Microsoft is making these this software available on um, on to be used on Linux, so that's really cool, and it's very it's very nice to see when uh, you know Microsoft's making more and more stuff to be working on Linux. That's great, um, but yeah, it's still Microsoft. And while I still I do think it's good that they're doing this, and I do applaud them, and I appreciate their uh, contributions to the community. Because they do actually are they are making a lot of contributions and I appreciate that. It's still Microsoft, and you know I'm still you know keeping them at arm's length. Uh, because recently we found out that they are still supporting patent trolls, even though they are supposedly not doing that with the uh, OIN and the Lot Network and things like that. But recently uh, there are some reports saying that they are suppo- supporting it. That could be. Uh, uh, that could be false, but based on my uh, research, uh, they've had this, the same uh, companies that have been using their patents for a while are still doing it. But uh, one of the things they recently did, they were at a, uh, they were at this uh, like conference essentially. It's uh, the Intellectual Property Dealmakers Forum, or IPDF, and there Microsoft's Eric Andreessen or Anderson, sorry, Anderson. Um, he made a statement that was kind of weird, and unfortunately, we don't have the full quote because the IAM or the Intellectual Asset Management Magazine kind of just paraphrased it. So uh, maybe eventually we'll get the full quote. But he essentially said it's more valuable to us to license our patents through Open Invention and the Lot Networks than to try to license them on our own. But that doesn't really make any sense because they're not getting a value for money to use the lot network or the open invention. So like, what does that really mean? I don't know. So it's just, I just wanted to bring it up because it's, it's kind of a weird, uh, statement for him to make because it kind of gives like a mixed vibe of what they're doing with the license for the patents and stuff. Either way, I am glad that they're making some efforts to make this, like to contribute to the community and also some efforts to improve, uh, their, systems uh for azure and stuff like that but you know it's still microsoft windows 10 is still terrible still privacy horror like horrible egregious system and you know all that stuff and members microsoft office is still not available on linux and all that stuff so it's still microsoft but i guess they're like 
maybe Microsoft would like some little open source sprinkles on top. I don't know. Someone in the in the chat asked on the live stream, uh, is this a jab at Linux from Microsoft? Like, here's a tool for your unstable Linux when it crashes on you. And I don't think that this is really what it is. I think it's because they have system administrators that want to use Azure, but they also don't want to use the Windows server. They want to use the Linux servers. And they're used to using these tools already. And this allows them to continue to use those tools without having to learn any new like workflow or whatever. So it makes it just easier for them to transition to uh, using Linux without having to change their workflow at all. And it's because it's pretty much like the, their customer base really wants that. Uh, not necessarily that it actually has any kind of like you could argue that everything that is in sys internals is already in Linux. And even you could argue that they're better tools. So I think it's more in the sense of like the people who are their customers have a set workflow already. And that's probably what is the reason they did it for more than likely. It's so they can keep their customers happy, not because they care or about Linux or anything. But, uh, you know, there's that. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on this show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the channel, we have multiple ways to contribute via PayPal, Patreon, and many more. You can learn more by going to tuxdigital.com slash contribute. Or you can order the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt by going to tuxdigital.com slash Linux is Everywhere. The Linux is Everywhere t-shirt is a shirt that I designed to celebrate the proliferation of Linux. It has Tux blended into the background to convey the message. Whether you know Linux is there or not, it probably is. Oh, if you're also in Europe, you can go to tuxdigital.com slash LinuxEverywhereEU for shipping inside of Europe. We also have ways to contribute without any cost to you by using our affiliate links. You can find links for places like Amazon, Private Internet Access, and others by going to tuxdigital.com slash affiliates. And if you'd like to submit some GNU's to the show, then visit the subreddit by going to thisweekinlinux.reddit.com. If you'd like some more podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episode of Destination Linux, as I'm a co-host of that show. And just a reminder, this show is live usually every Saturday, so join us in the live chat room to discuss all the latest Linux GNU's each week. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tunnell with Tux Digital. And as always, keep using, learning, and enjoying Linux.